this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And this, Jay, is our last review. We have one more episode after this, our year wrap-up. But this is it. The final well, for the for the um, for the free podcast, there'll be an '80s episode for our Patreon community, which they're currently are, voting on. Are we going to go out strong, or I guess we'll find out. We're just going to fizzle. So this is from one of our polls, one of our tournaments of death. The. 27 albums knocked down to one winner over four consecutive weeks. Each month we do it. This was the November tournament. There were a lot of really interesting choices uh, going into this one. I was not sure exactly who was going to win, but there were a lot of options that I was like, that would be fun. Oh, that would be cool. And when it got down to the final six, I don't know about you, but I was like, I could, those are all really good choices. Like, it was a diverse amount of uh, of options, so let's talk That's about what we've come bit. to uh, come to expect with this this uh, little tournament we're doing. Our uh, our listeners keep it interesting. I don't think we've had a poll that has been uh, not diverse. What's the what's the homogenous? What's the opposite of diverse? Um, yes, you're right, homogenous. Yeah, there you go. I don't think we've had one that's been homogenous. They're all um, Sweden. Surprisingly, that would be the opposite of diverse. Sweden, yeah. <laughs> no, Japan? I'm kidding. I love the Swedes. They make excellent meatballs. Let's go to what the picks were submitted via our website, Jay DigMeOutPodcast.com. For the folks out there who don't know, all you have to do is go to the suggested album page, drop it in there, and then it goes into our hopper. And 27 albums are picked. I imagine we made a pretty good dent in the We hopper. did. I, I needed to uh, do a tally to see where we're at. But uh, we should have made a, a huge, huge dent this year. We started it, this in June, I think. Yeah. So it's not a full year of this new format, but uh, we're, we're moving through a lot of records, which we has are. been fun from uh, just to get exposed to so many uh, records so much faster. Now, any album that lost can be resubmitted, but just not by the same person who previously submitted. And yes, yeah. we are paying attention. <laughs> so let's talk about, let's go through real quick, all the picks that came in. Round one was the fluid Purple Metal Flake music, Brother Kane's Wishpool, Breaking the Ethers by Tuatara, Come Find Yourself by Fun Loving Criminals, Bricks Are Heavy by All Seven, A Storm in Heaven, by the Verve, Remember by Rusted Root, Gimme Five by the Killjoys, and Killed for Less by Sensefield. And the two winners out of round one were Fun Loving Criminals and L7. Interesting. That those are not in the same ballpark. No. Musically. So round two, what do we got? 
Uh, Hope and Atoms by Wheat, Letting Off Happiness by Bright Eyes, Please Kill Yourself So I Can Rock by Love 666. That's a that's a <laughs> interesting album title. Mm. Uh, the self-titled album by War Babies, Reject All American by Bikini Kill, Sugar Fix by Dwarves, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars by Creedle, Loveless by My Bloody Valentine, and Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Or is that Bad Out of Hell 3? Is there, or how many yeah. are Bad Out of the Hells are there? That would have been two. Two? When did three, think, isn't there a third one? Um, let my crack research team look that up for you. Whatever. I know there's I'm a lot sure of I'm sure there was. If there isn't, then there will be. Yeah. Because it's, you know, an easy way to make money. So out of that, our winners were My Bloody Van- Valentine and Bikini Kill. So, so again, not in the same ballpark. I mean, they both have guitars and bass and drums. Round three, Big Red Letter Day by Buffalo Tom. Take It From The Man by the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Instant Winner by Distorted Pony. Numb by Hammerbox. Day Glow by Love Battery. Sweetwater's self-titled album. God Lives Under Waters, self-titled album. The Apple Bed by Nick Hayward. And Black 14 by April's Motel Room. And the two out of that one were Love Battery and Buffalo Tom. So our final six, Buffalo Tom, Love Battery, My Blood Valentine, Bikini Kill, L7, and Fun Love and Criminals. An interesting group, to say the least. And the winner from that, with 31% of the overall vote, Dayglow by Love Battery. That was like, when I was looking at that, I thought that's probably the third or fourth choice. I was actually, I was fairly shocked that that one won it. But there are, there's rationale, and we'll get to the comments. But, uh, Behind that, Fun Love and Criminals was real close with 26%. And then um, My Bloody Valentine and Bikini Kill tied with 14%. Buffalo Tom with 10 L7 with 5%. At one point, it looked like Fun Love and Criminals was going to win. I know. Jer- Jeremy Amen said, well, break out the Scooby Snacks <laughs> when, when they were uh, ahead. Uh, Justin Moore said, in an ideal world, Buffalo Tom would be storming ahead as it holds a very special place in my heart, though I haven't played it in an age. My, I guess My Bloody Valentine would be too obvious a choice, so I've given my vote to Fun Love and Criminals. Andrew O.C. went with Love Battery. Joe Royland went with Buffalo Tom. Kyle Bittner, again, Fun Love and Criminals. Um, I should point out that in this final six, three of them were suggested by Gary Moran. That's those, man, that guy needs to go to man. Vegas. <laughs> Did, is there a uh, casino game where you can pick records pick, and pick albums <laughs> and album terminate? So this is what he said when he submitted Love Battery uh, uh, and their album Dayglow. He said Love Battery was in the right place at the right time to be hugely successful. Signed to Sub Pop in 89, the band's grungy psychedelic tinge sound fits well with their contemporaries, such as Pearl Jam. Mother Love Bone, when Dayglow was released in 1992, the band had included members of Mud Honey, Skin Yard, and the U-Men. The rhythm section was highly fluid and would soon have ties to Green River, Mother Love Bone, Presidents of the United States of America, Posies, and the Fastbacks. Despite being deeply ingrained in the Seattle scene, Love Battery struggled to find a consistent lineup and a larger audience. 
So a couple other comments. Um, Bill Davidson went with Bikini Kill. Uh, Jim Jim Copany said we, that we were being tortured if by the FLC surge. I, I assure you, sir, that would not have been torture. I I know Fun Loving Criminals from a couple songs, and I don't mind them. Oh, really? Yeah. Showing your cards there for the Fun Loving Criminals review that will inevitably inevitably have to do. It, it's inevitable. Um, Bill Hampton went with Buffalo Tom. Bill Fleming went with Love Battery, the true underdog of sub pop stars. And Gavin Reed said, I am so disappointed. I think that's when Fun Loving Criminals was ahead. So hopefully his um, sadness was mitigated. So Jay, had you heard Love Battery? I know we've listened to a lot of Seattle bands. Obviously. Yeah. No, I got, I always get them confused with Skin Yard. I got them confused with Truly. Like there's okay. that band Truly from Seattle, I think. Okay. Yeah. And I thought I yeah. So we didn't know who they were. I had heard the name, but I right. like I said, those two for whatever reasons, I uh interchanged those two bands in my mind and assumed that they sound the same. Let's let me give you a little bit of history, expand upon what Gary had mentioned. History of the band. Formed in 89, Ron Nine, whose name is Ron Rodzitsis. Not sure how to pronounce that. He was in a band called Room Nine. Um, and he formed this band with Kevin Whitworth, um, bassist Tommy Simpson, and Dan Peters, who was the drummer in Mud Honey. And they took their name from a song by the Buzzcocks. Dan Peters ended up leaving the group. I mean, he was busy with Mud Honey, so that kind of makes sense. And he was replaced by Jason Finn, who was the drummer in Skin Yard, or had been the drummer in Skin Yard. So they record an EP. It gets released by Sub Pop. At that point, Tommy Simpson, the bass player, was replaced by Jim Tillman, who was the bassist in the U-Men. So when they actually released the EP, that was the lineup. And they recorded together Dayglow. Now, that doesn't last long. Jason Finn would leave, and he would become the drummer in the Presidents of the United States of America. Okay. Um, and at some point... Is that the drummer on this record? Yes. Okay. He's the drummer on this record. Jim Tillman is the bass player on this record. And then at, a couple years later... So this album comes out... I don't think I mentioned that. January 28th, 1992 on sub pop within a couple years or, or within a short period of time, um, Tommy Simpson replaced Jim Tillman. And then in the same year, he left the band again and was replaced by Bruce Fairweather, who has been in a number of bands. Mother Is, exactly. Um, and then Dan Peters from, from Mud Honey comes back to play drums. Uh, when Jason Finn leaves, and then he leaves again, and Mike Musburger, who played in the Posies, comes in to play drums. So basically, if you were in a oh Seattle goodness. band, there's a good there's a good chance that you played bass, drums, or guitar <laughs> in Love Battery. You might not even know that you did, but you you might have played right. bass. 
in this band. You were in a studio, you laid down a track, and next thing you know, it's on a low battery song. Uh, so they put out five records, actually four. Sorry, they put out they beat between the eyes. EP came out before the album Day Glow in '92. Then they released uh, Far Gone uh, in '93. That also came out on Sub Pop, and then and nothing happened for them. So they leave Sub Pop, and they signed to Atlas Records. Now, Atlas was part of Polydor, really more known for jazz on the Polydor side. So they didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah. It was when, you know, labels were just swallowing up any sort of alternative rock band that they could. So this is, so 95, they put out straight, straight freak ticket and it does nothing. Um, they break up, get together, break up, get together, blah, blah, blah. M- numerous lineup changes. And they signed to C slash Z Records, which is a Seattle-based label that released the original Deep Six compilation, which we reviewed many, many years ago. And they put out albums by bands like 10-Minute Warning, Alcohol Funny Car, Built to Spill, Hammerbox, um, The Melvins, Skin Yard, Silkworm, many other bands. So they were like the little, they were like the little brother, or I don't think they probably want to be described that way, but they were, they were also a Seattle label, like Sub Pop, but just not as well known. And after 99, they were done. So they have continued to play together off and on over the years. Um, In 2006, there was a reunion with um, three of the four original members with Mike Musburger on drums. Then in 2012, they got together. Uh, with a different bass player and drummer entirely. And then they got together again in 2018 with Jim Tillman, the bass player from this record that we were talking about on bass, and Jason Finn back from the President of the United States on drums. They have reissued just, I think, in the past year or so, this album. And um, it was, in fact, uh, not just reissued, but they did a remaster with the guy who's the, the the resident sub pop and Seattle producer whose name is escaping me at this moment. Um, but he worked on a ton of stuff. I, I, I'll find it somewhere. But anyway, so basically, if you were ever listening to this record and go, I wonder if it got a, re- a re-release and a remaster. It, it did. Cool. Just, just in the past year or so. Sub pop yep. didn't want to do it. Sub pop was like, nobody's, nobody's going to bother yep. with it. So they did it like on an indie label. Um, connected to a record store in, in Seattle and Portland. Um, Jack and Dino, that's who I'm trying to remember. Jack and Dino did the remaster. Makes sense. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Day Glow by Love Battery. Tell me one thing you liked about this record. It has a really interesting guitar interplay that I think plays well with its styles of music. Uh, that they're interpreting here. So you hear a lot of um, this two guitar uh, hard pan arrangement. So you got typically a guitar in your right ear that's playing fuzzy chords and riffs, fairly straightforward. And then you have a guitar in your left ear that is just playing sometimes just bizarre um 
counter melodies, dissonant things. Sometimes it gets bluesy and plays slide stuff. There's always this, this weird off kilter tension between the two guitars. And it's very like um, consistent through the whole record. Like they don't, they stick to that, that mix, which I really like. Like it gives you a very clear um, concept for the record, like spatially and from a format standpoint is very consistent that way. Um, and then the styles of music they're playing, I think you touched on the comments. It's like a really interesting mix of like psychedelic garage rock, maybe at the core of what they're doing. But then there's an attitude that is closer to maybe like Detroit MC5, the Stooges. There's even like some stuff here that gets into like a MC5 kind of boogie vibe, like See Your Mind has that Chuck Berry style guitar. buzzed out and played louder and more I guess aggressively or um, you know with a, a lot more energy you just get this really amped up version of I guess psychedelic garage rock um, because when you break down some of these songs it's I think very much the format uh, of them and maybe the like seed of the song you know feels very like traditional in a way but because i think the volume and the way it's recorded and just the energy and all the fuzz it becomes this whole new thing even like uh, you kind of hear like even in some of the vocals um i'm thinking of let's see i think it's see your mind there's this uh counter vocal that is very like 60s garage rock pop kind of sound. So I think on the surface though, you know, my first impression of it was like, oh, this is like a Seattle grunge record, like mud honey-ish, skinny yardish, like, okay, get it. And on repeated listens, and as I really digested it, I was like, oh, okay, I really am getting more deeply what this band is is doing. And then I like I mentioned earlier, the production. Um, in terms of how the guitars are handled specifically, just give it such a cohesive format that even when they diverge a little bit and get heavier, turn up the fuzz, get bluesier, get trippier, like it all still holds together, I think, because they're so consistent with that um, that production technique. So that's some of the stuff I liked. What about you? Agree on all that. I think this album 
I think when people think about Seattle, most people go Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. Yeah. But then there's that like second layer of the stuff that we're more aware of because of the show and because we were music nerds and stuff. The Mother Love Bones, the Green Rivers. Um, you know, that's when you get into like not just Screaming Trees, but like the the whole sound of Screaming Trees, where they started yeah. out a little bit more psychedelic and a little bit more strange than they, than they, where they ended up. And there was this aspect of that Seattle sound where there was as much of like a weirdness yeah. as there was a, a heaviness. And I think this record kind of captures that really well because it's a it's a guitar record, but the bass and drums are really really good like the bass playing on this record is yeah. really good and really interesting mm -hmm. on um on foot he's doing some interesting stuff um it's i guess it's jim tillman Overall, there's like you can tell that these are like they bang these out in the in the practice space for a long time. Yeah. Like figuring these parts out and and jamming. It sounds like a lot of fun. It's energetic in a way that some of those bands were a little bit more dirgy. And this yeah. is like I think that your call out to the Detroit sound is is spot on. Um because of the weirdness and the psychedelic aspect of some of the stuff mixed with the high energy of those bands. Um, I was really enjoying the, it's kind of a soup. It's, it's not a yeah. crystal clear mix. Yeah. And maybe they, when they remastered it, you know, in the last couple of years, they cleaned some stuff up because it's, it's kind of fuzzy and really mid i guess like it's got this just it just envelops a lot of space yeah um which is cool because a lot of those albums didn't you know especially with the drop i think what so i did a little bit of reading you know and a lot of like Alice in chains use drop d uh soundgarden would use drop d or or other alternative tunings um this band used a lot of regular tuning but then also tuned to C not drop C but to C okay which is I guess you use that if I would guess you're using that for slide you know when you yeah. do some like weird tunings for slide parts so I think that opens you up to like just different voicings on the guitar and it just creates a weirder sound I mean because you know you know it from playing guitar if you hear somebody who's just playing like power chords yeah 
you, you know what that is. You can yeah. tell right away. Or if you hear somebody playing drop D, like, you know, like a helmet song or something like that, it's pretty easy to pick out. But sometimes when you hear the, a band like this, where they're using slide in this unusual way, which they do a couple times on the album, that's when they're integrating some weirder open tunings and stuff like tuning to C and, and whatnot. And I really like that aspect of it because it's, it's a little bit, there were parts of it that even reminded me of like, like British bands from this era, like yeah. ride and stuff. Yeah. It just had that like energy. Vocally, um, vocally a lot too. Yes. Because the, the vocals are fine, but they're not overwhelming. They are a part of the mix of the songs and they serve the songs, but there's not like, there's no smells like team spirit on here in, in comparison or, or nearly lost you. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's interesting about the British call out is that I heard that as well. In fact, I, I have a note here. Uh, at times it almost sounds like um, screaming trees mixed with stone roses through like a garage band aesthetic. If you can imagine those things being matched together. Uh, um, the thing that's interesting about that is that you know a lot of the early '60s garage bands were a response to British music, mm -hmm. so maybe that's what we're hearing is like a love and a foundation and that music, which is also referencing, you know, British rock and roll, right? So yeah. it's kind of maybe coming from a similar place, and you can also hear the influence of of the garage aspect in a song like damaged that to me has a very mud honey vibe to it. Um, it's a little yeah. sloppy. It, things get a little out of tune here and there with that slide, but it, it has a coolness factor that is able to sort of reel it in. Um, I even and, heard like uh, a song like side with you is a little different from what we're talking about it steps into maybe like a dinosaur junior kind of place with those they double the acoustic and the electric and yeah they double they added the acoustic and the guitars are huge a different type of beat rhythm you know it's it's halftime and not tip uh, not really related to all the genres we talked about it still works like it fits mm -hmm. on the record but you can tell like it's stylistically like or maybe from a songwriting standpoint maybe coming more from that you know it's sort of a dinosaur junior inspiration absolutely hear that that, that i had that as one of my notes 
was as soon as I heard that acoustic and electric thing happening, which was a, such an 80s alternative and into the 90s thing to yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that became a thing. It doesn't <laughs> seem to happen anymore. Like it was very specific to those couple of yeah. decades. Um, I was like, oh, that sounds like Dennis. Yeah, that's got a Dinosaur Jr. vibe. Um, which I, I mean, some of the dynamics like on Out of Focus and um, Cool School, like I can hear some up-tempo Dinosaur Jr. riffing yeah. on some of those songs. So, I mean, it would not be it would not surprise me at all if those guys had Dinosaur Jr. albums from the 80s in their record collection when they were, you know, growing yeah. up. I don't know how old they are in comparison to Jay Masses. I got to imagine they're probably around the same age uh, since they formed in 89, but maybe a few years younger. Um, what didn't work for you on the record? Uh, probably the f- biggest thing would just be the vocals are just kind of inconsistent. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean that from more a, a, an identity standpoint. I'm yeah. not quite sure like what, just when I think I know what they're doing vocally and like what the band is, you know, trying to do from a songwriting standpoint and overall presentation, there'll be a section or part of a song or like the whole sort of the way the record ends with Daglo and 23 modern stories, like the, you know, the vocals getting more buried behind the guitars. It's not cutting through. It's uh, damaged the whole First section of that song it's kind of super pulled back and you know distant just not quite sure like vocally what they're trying to do and it's interesting because like a song like foot by the end of that song i'm really getting the vibes of like early nirvana and you know that's a band that you know it was coming from a similar place um not, not just from location but i think from a roughly what they're you know trying to do what their inspiration is but you know with obviously with nirvana there was like a very like uh coherent um approach on like this is what we're doing vocally this is you know things are tighter we're trying to write songs that are you know pop sort of foundational um and that gets a little a little too murky on this record i kind of like the range I like when it goes off the rails a bit. I like the energy. I just wish there was just a bit more cohesion with the vocals. I, you know, a song like I mentioned, See Your Mind is a good example where uh, you just see the potential. Like if they could do something like that consistently through the whole record, uh, where the, you know, their vocals are really integral to the song, really well thought out, interesting, not just like, following the guitar lines all the time i think you really have something remarkable mm-hmm. and uh it's not quite realized as well as i think they could be and maybe that had something to do with you know ultimately the band's level of success but um yeah the vocals for me have just inconsistent they can be at times like really strong and compelling and other times just meh how about you what didn't work this is the perfect band for having like a group shout or chorus. Yeah. When they have a big chorus and it's not like, it doesn't hit you real hard. Like there should be like the bass player and the other guitar player just shouting it with you. And that's not happening. 
Um, there's some mixing issues like on Blonde. There's basically no cymbals on that song. It is oh, really? the guitar is so heavy and big. Yeah, if yeah. you listen to that, you can hear them being hit, but they're so washed out. Yeah. songs are okay they're not my favorite tracks um i think just they're just a little less interesting like i go back to like foot like i don't know what he's doing he's doing this like like this harmonic thing on the bass Mm -hmm. it's really interesting i could i would have never thought to play what he's playing i would have just been playing root notes yeah and he is doing this really interesting bass part um i agree i mean I've been curious to listen to the remaster because I'm just listening to the original mix MP3s that I somehow have, uh, probably from the I Hate the 90s blog. The one I'm listening to doesn't. Usually you'll sort of see a date or something that denotes if it was remastered. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounded okay to me, but the guitar, especially that guitar on the left, sometimes is like ridiculously loud. So, and it is mid Tony. Mm-hmm. So I can, I could see like it being remixed or in some speakers and situations. Like when I listened to it with my AirPods, it did not sound great. Um, these headphones, it sounded fine. So it is a very guitar forward mix. And that sometimes with tones that are kind of nasty and gritty, yes, can be, can be a little rough. I did appreciate their. This could have easily gotten off the rails lengthwise, and it's a pretty tight record in terms. Of it's only ten songs in forty minutes. Yeah, or forty-one minutes. Yep. They kept it to a vinyl, which is nice. Um, that's a a rarity for this <laughs> this era. Um, but other than that, I mean. I kind of dig it just because of the fact that it's such a weird amalgamation of a bunch of different Seattle sounds that it makes for a interesting, especially a headphone listen. Cause it's just like, there's just stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a fun headphone listen. I, like I mentioned, once you pick up on the sort of how the guitars are mixed, it's really interesting. And I want to emphasize the point you're making about the bass. Cause I don't, I don't think this production and I don't think the guitar approach is possible without a really good bass player. Nope. Um, he is holding all of this together. You know, even, uh, just start with his first track out of focus. If you listen to the guitar parts and like what's going on there. 
you can imagine a lot of like hearing a lot of local bands playing something like that and it's sounding mm-hmm. horrible because the bass player's not very good. And when you listen to what the bass player is doing in this band, um, it's really doing a good job of like playing similar to the one guitar, but also adding these important accents that just open it up and give it all this depth that suddenly like when you've got the second guitar just meandering and playing weird dissonant notes, it's great. It's totally cool. Works. It sounds big sounds super interesting and you're sort of flying you know uh, spatial without that it sounds like a train wreck yeah um so the i think the base on this record is very important absolutely um and but at the same time i can see why this would be a absolutely tough sell to send a radio like sub pop is sending you alice and chains yeah. And these well-crafted, hooky, hard rock songs. And you're getting Nirvana, obviously. You're getting Soundgarden. This is this is not in that realm. It's a cool record, but it's just yeah, it's, a, it's just a little too out there for I think that that period. So well, when you were describing like the levels of bands from Seattle, the bands that you have on the second level are like also the bands that were broke that were big on the top level mm-hmm. that they all they were all fans of yep or you know had friends that were in or we used to be in but left you know they're sort of like the soul of of the scene and i would say this band probably fits into that category mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised if like you know uh, a lot of those, you know, m- much more successful bands were fans of this band. They definitely seem like a band's band. Like yeah. this would be the band that would always be opening for a, a slightly larger band because that band likes them. Right. Yeah. Which is also like a kiss of death. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's, we, we uh, cover those bands often on here. I think we kind of relate to those bands too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's give our overall ratings on this record. Is it a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single? What do you say? It's a worthy album. Uh, I, I like I like this quite a bit. I found it, you know, pretty accessible. I, I you know, the first listen it really grabbed me and and gave me both kind of nostalgic vibes and made me want to go, you know, listen to a bunch of Seattle stuff. But it's also weirdly modern, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I could, like if this band, if this record came out this year, it would be like the most hip thing ever. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? It would be all over our Discord, and it'd be like, oh my god, this record's amazing. Like, maybe heard this band. Um, Here's their so, Bandcamp. So it's it's weirdly classic, even though it definitely immediately made me think of Seattle. Um, So, and I enjoyed that kind of, you know, back and forth. It it sort of hit that sweet spot where it's like nostalgic enough that, you know, kind of gets those warm feelings going, but it doesn't like sound dated or cheesy. Yes. Um, 
So, and, and really, you know, there's a couple songs on here that I think, you know, the second half, some of them are better than the first halves. I think like Blonde is a good example of that. I think the last two tracks are not the strongest on the record, but all that said, I really like the sound of the band. And I think as a record, the fact that it's only 10 tracks, 40 minutes, I think it holds together really well. It's produced consistently. It has a very distinct, unique sound. So I, I think it's a worthy album. Where are you at? I agree. I bounced back to a worthy album. It was down <laughs> last week. And uh, in Singleville. Yeah. Uh, although people reminded me, I was I thought that that maybe was my harshest review, but I was I guess I was pretty harsh on throwing copper by live. I guess yeah. I I went to shit town on that one, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I think I, and I have like, you you have like one a year. Yeah. I did. I do think that the remaster based on some of the issues with regards to like, I mentioned on blonde, you can't hear the symbols, at least on my MP3s, Uh, my MP3s might be, you know, 96 K. I don't know. Um, from, from 2002. Uh, no, I I mean, I'm, I listened to the track too. And listen for the symbols and it just they get they melt they merge with the guitars so you just end up with this like shh. yes of like the guitar distortion and the symbols are all you don't like hear the ring out one frequency yes yeah. so maybe the remastering helped that in terms of yeah know, for sure that's exactly the type of thing you want to be fixed um because i don't think that having them poorly mixed in the first place is in in relation to the rest of the record makes sense like they the drums sound good on the rest of the record it's just that one song is oddly yeah that's usually a compression issue so two were the albums from us on the final review episode of 2022 um i don't even where did we start 2022 i need to i need to look at our um do you remember jay do you remember what our first review of Oh my God. I can tell you here in a second. Well, while you're looking that up, I need to thank Gary Moran and everybody else who suggested a record for this tournament. And I'll mention again, you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com, podcast.com to suggest an album. You just go to the suggest an album page, you put your album title, your artist, and give us a little comment. While you're doing that, was it White up. Stripes? Was it the White Stripes album? Was that the first one? Let me see. Season season 12? Are we in season 12? I, I believe so. That would have been January 26th. Oh, no. So it was, I know what it was. It was the Meat Puppets Too High to Die. You're right. Meat Puppets, Suicidal Tendencies, White Stripes. Those were the yes. first three. Yep. Yes. We started with Seattle and ended with Seattle. Or no, they're I'm sorry. From they're from, the, they're from uh, Arizona. Arizona? <laughs> I don't always think but they Seattle. Well, because I, I Backwater sounds like a grunge song. Yeah. That's why. The only reason anybody knows the Meat Puppets is because, I mean, outside of like music fans. Yeah. But like the mainstream people who, you know, know, know they only know Backwater and they all think it's a Seattle band. Yeah. 
they have no idea they're from Arizona and they had like six albums before that. We'll get into the whole season next week. We'll look back on our favorite episodes. Yep. Lots of stuff to talk about. Want to remind folks that also there'll be an eighties episode this month and you can listen by joining us at Patreon by going to digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. You get, uh, you get the eighties episodes, you get to vote in these fun tournaments after you, I mean, anybody can suggest records. You can even vote on your own suggestion when it comes up. Um, you get video of all these episodes. Cause you know, Jay and I are some handsome bros and, uh, you want to, you want to check out our Riz as the kids say our drip, our drip. Yes. <laughs> as we, we slay in our whips, our aesthetic. Yes. How are you, fellow kids? <laughs> uh, I use that um, one all the time. My daughter hates it. <laughs> what, do you, what line do you use? What's up, fellow kids? Oh, what's up, fellow kids? Yes. Sometimes I change it to fellow youths. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, soon it'll be teens. What's up, fellow teens? There you go. So, uh, at Patreon, you can read the Box Newsletter, which you can sign up for at our website. The Box Newsletter includes a release calendar of new releases every week. Music, movies, TV shows, books, etc. Rela- related to 80s and 90s music that we cover. It's also two reviews of new releases, either by myself or by patrons. They also suggest uh, or, or give us uh, one-minute reviews for stuff that they're digging and uh finally apple podcast is where you go to leave some positive feedback for this podcast so for jay i'm tim we're out and we'll be back next week with the final episode of 2022 dig me out